Ohana. How's it going? How's Christmas? How was Christmas? Good, good. I had, I had the privilege of being able to spend time with my family. It's the first Christmas in five years that I got to do that. So it was a nice just to be able to relax and, and spend time with them. But after we move out of the Christmas season, then we start this other season. What season are we moving into right now? New Year's. What does that mean? New, New Year's resolutions. We, so this is a season of coming up with New Year's resolutions. For me, there's one on my mind that I got to take care of this New Year. No, actually, as a staff, we've all talked about it, and we're going to try to we're going to try to move that way as a healthier staff because we think physically, if we're not healthy, we cannot lead the church healthy. So that's one of them that we're going to talk about as a staff today. But you also get the new uh, workouts and you get the, the get out of debt, New Year's resolutions. You get all this stuff. But did you know only 8% of people actually complete their New Year's resolutions? Only 8% of people. And so me, I'm a, I'm a, I learn differently. If you give me a book to read, I'm not going to learn it well. If I hear it, I learn it better. But I like graphs. So I found this graph and I was like, man, this is great. So um, here's the graph. It might be hard to see, but it says I kept my New Year's resolution for at least. What's that number up there at the far top? Can you, can you see that in the back? 75% said they kept it for one week. All right, that's good. Wait, but 25% of people didn't even keep it for a week. They make a New Year's resolution with no thought and with no attitudes towards completion. They just say, this is my New Year's resolution, that it doesn't change the aspect of who they are. So I want us to think about this as we move forward. I want us to think about not just this year, but when we're 70 and 80, when we look back on our lives, what do we, I want us to ask, what should we have done now to change when we're 70 and 80? Much more, I want us to think of when we stand before the throne of God and we're judged for what we did on this earth, what will we look back at and say, we should have done this? Because as a pastor, I don't want you to say, I wish I'd done this. I'm glad I started this. So as we look at our text today, that's what I want us to think about. Not, not this year's New Year's resolutions, but later on in life, what do we wish we would have accomplished earlier in life? So as you know, we're going through the Gospel of Mark still. Last week we had an interesting Christmas sermon. It wasn't about the birth of Jesus. It was about Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. Did, did we gain something from that last week? Did we, did we enjoy that? So today we start the third chapter of the book of Mark. And so if you could, could you turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter three, and we'll read verses one through six. So as we turn there, I just want to the title of my message today is, as we continue on this series, is A Life of Ministry, Part 5. We've went through the, the second chapter, which is where a lot of this came from. And so we'll just look at Part 5 today. But if you could stand with me in the reading of God's Word. Verse 1 says this. 
Again he entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he, and he said to them, which is the Pharisees, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. You may be seated. Lord, may we gain wisdom from your word this morning. May you speak truth into our hearts this morning. May you speak life into us this morning. Lord, as the chaos of, of this season of events and, and having to do this and do that, Lord, may you refresh our hearts this morning. May you restore our soul, oh God. Lead us to the path by the peaceful rivers and rest in your salvation. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we break down this text, this is the, like I said before, this is part five. So as we break this, down this text, I want us to look at the two groups involved. I'm not going to go through the text as a chunk and just read it as one big story, but I want us to look at the two separate events that happened. And the first one is a continuation of what we learned last week. It's it's the battle between the Pharisees and Jesus. And as we look at this, this is round five. When I thought of this, I thought of a fight. I thought of a boxing match. I guess I've, I wasn't into boxing or UFC or anything until I moved here. And I guess that's what this island does to you a little bit is you follow BJ Penn a lot more than what you used to. So, but that's what I thought. This is round five of a heavyweight fight. And so, but they followed him. The, the Pharisees were following Jesus around. As we see from the text, they were following him to the synagogue after meeting him in the field. You see, this is the best part. Uh, my mind goes sports all the time. So, so when, when they're following him, what I saw was Jesus had just beat these jokers on a neutral court. All right, this is home court advantage versus away in neutral site. So Jesus just went neutral on them in the field when they were picking the grain from last week. And he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You can't tell me what to do. And now Jesus goes into the synagogue. This is now their home turf. So when Jesus goes in, I'm telling you, this is how my brain works. All right, guys. I see these guys poking out of the grass being like, oh, what this joker going about to do? What is he about to do in, in our facility? Like the Under Armour commercial from a while back, you must protect this house. This is what I think the Pharisees were saying in their minds. So number one, the Pharisees lurked after Jesus. 
And again, he entered the synagogue, verse 1. And a man with a withered hand, uh, and there was a man with a withered hand, and they watched to see whether or not he would heal them on the Sabbath. A couple observations from this. This kind of blew me away. The Pharisees knew people in their synagogue would need healing. He, they knew he was going to be there. Every week in and week out, the same guy shows up to worship. But this is, this is the one that tore my heart. The Pharisees lacked compassion for the man. See, they were setting him up for, as a test for Jesus and not worried about the compassion or the actual need of this man. So when we go through life, are we more worried about setting people up or the needs of the individuals around us? Are we looking at ourselves as how do we get on top instead of looking at the, the brokenness and the, the pain and suffering of the people around us? When we see the word watched in this verse, and they watched Jesus, this was a continuing thing. It's, it's been a habit. They don't go to, to witness miracles. They do it to watch. Because their number one goal was to accuse Jesus of something. And see, at the time, these laws on the Sabbath, when the Sabbath was made, the Sabbath that we learned last week was, was made for man. The Sabbath was made to make, to give rest to man. But man actually put extra laws on the Sabbath. Listen to this. Listen to some of these. This is, this is pretty funny. The law at the time was first aid was deemed permissible to prevent injury from worsening. But efforts to cure were regarded as work. All right, we just dismissed the cakey. Let me tell you something. If my boy was, had a medical emergency and I took him to Hilo Medical Center and they said, we can only stabilize him, we can't make him better because today's the Sabbath. I would lose my Christianity for a moment and become more like B.J. Pitt. So, like, that, that is the... But that's, that's their mentality. They couldn't, they couldn't heal on the Sabbath. They couldn't... The, another statement was this. They might not straighten a deformed body or set a broken limb. If you broke your limb on the Sabbath, they'd be like, sorry, bro. We got to wait until 8 o'clock tonight to set that. I'm sorry. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. But the best one, no, the best one was there was debate on whether or not you could eat an egg from a chicken that was laid on the Sabbath. And the answer was, well, did the chicken work? If the chicken had worked on the Sabbath, you couldn't eat it. But if the chicken hadn't worked on the Sabbath, you could eat it. It was more work to figure out if the chicken was working than it was just to eat the egg. Like, but that's the kind of rules they had. And if you want to see the brokenness, this is, this is, a, this is from a rabbi. Rabbi Shamamai if I'm saying that right, correctly. He opposed praying for or visiting the sick on the Sabbath since it was to be a day marked by joy. 
You see, they had created a Sabbath that evolved around them. That it was just about what they could take out of it and not the joy of the Sabbath, the rest of the Sabbath, or the overall gratitude of the congregation for the Sabbath. They used a blessing as a means of a curse. They used the blessing that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath as a means to curse Jesus. So number two, Jesus used them to prove a point. Verse three says this, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of hearts, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. See, Jesus turns around this trap into a two-part question. The first part is doing good versus evil. And this refers directly to the healing of the man. You see, Jesus at the time was saying, it's lawful to heal. If I'm helping a brother out, it is lawful to hear. Micah 6.8 says this, As he had told you, O man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? It's the attributes God laid out in the Old Testament for us to follow. To do good, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So who was displaying that in this passage? Was it the Pharisees or was it Jesus? It's easy. Jesus was. So our first reality truth for today. Where good needs to be done, there can be no neutrality. And a failure to do so is evil. You see, there's, there's two theological terms right now that we're going to talk, talk a little bit about. The first is a sin of omission. The second is a sin of commission. A couple letters difference. Omission is what the Pharisees were doing. They saw the man needed to be healed and did nothing about it. Because we still sin when we know we're supposed to do stuff and don't do it. Sin is just not, oh, I murdered somebody, or I lied to my parents, or I, I lusted in my heart, I ate too much food on Christmas, gluttony. But it's also not doing what you're supposed to do. So we see here the sin of omission that the Pharisees were, were doing. But not only were they not healing the man, they were also committing sins of commission. Which leads us to number two, death or, death or life in that part of the verse. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Jesus knew the plot was there to destroy him. And what I love is Jesus calls it out like he did earlier. Mark 2, 6 through 8 says this. And we've already studied this, but 
Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. So they were questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they, that they questioned within themselves and said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Jesus responded to what they were thinking out loud. Jesus was kind of doing the same thing there. Jesus knew the plot to destroy his life. So he asked him a twofold question. Is it more lawful to, to save a life or to kill on the, or to, and do good versus evil? What's, what's the answer here? You see, the biggest problem with this section of scripture is that the Pharisees didn't even understand the sin they were committing. They didn't understand what they were doing wrong. You see, the Pharisees were only looking on the outside. They saw Jesus as who he was and him picking the grain and him calling this man to stay, come up. But in their hearts, they were plotting to kill a man. In their hearts, they wanted to kill Jesus. They were plotting that data how to destroy him. And then that's when Jesus responds. Not with words, but this is what, this is what Mark had to say. But then they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of hearts, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. The words in that, in that verse appears nowhere else in the gospel. Jesus is angry, and he's deeply distressed at their stubbornness. The words translated stubborn does not mean malice. Listen to this. It doesn't mean malice as much as it means an unwillingness to understand. See, the whole reason Jesus was angry was because their hardness of hearts. Their hardness of hearts. They didn't understand that what they were doing was wrong because they were only looking out for my, me, myself, and I. And then as a group, they were looking out for their group. Ain't that how it works? Your group has to look out for each other, but inside that group, everybody's looking out for themselves. And then you see the opposite side, the beautiful side of the story. You see Jesus and the man with the withered hand. See, Jesus and the man wasn't opposing each other. And what's interesting is this is only a small part of the story. This is not the overarching theme of this story. Jesus called... Jesus called him out. Jesus called him over and said, come here. Come here. As I thought of this, think about this. A man that always goes to the same worship with a withered hand, he worships the same way we do, 
lifting of hands. He gets called out on his withered hand all the time. He's embarrassed every time somebody goes to shake his hand. The Pharisees, the people that Jesus is with right now, is blaming his condition on sin. What have you not repented of? What did your parents do in order to make you like this? What sin is unconfessed? See, some, but just like Jesus called this man, is much like he calls us. John 6, 37 says this, and all that Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus called us. We were like the man with the withered hand. We were the man with the withered hand. We were, we were stuck in sin, and Jesus called us out. Number two, Jesus used him as an example. This is his anxiety. Must have been ready to burst. His burst. Having small technical difficulties with this thing right now. You want to keep that secret. You don't want that to be in the limelight. Just like this man, he did not want that to be put in the limelight. But in exposing himself to Jesus, he is healed. You see, this once again is how Mark describes faith. But faith without words. He responded to what Jesus told him to do. Faith is not a private thing, but a public risk. That Jesus is worthy to be trusted of when no, one, when no other hope can be trusted. Did you get that? So, let me read that again. Once again, Mark describes faith without using the word. Faith is not a private wager, but a public risk that Jesus is worthy to be trusted when no other hope can be trusted. This man is put against this whole congregation. He's put against people that have made fun of him, that have called him out, told him he was in sin because of a condition that he had no power over. When he could trust no one, he trusted Jesus. What's, what kind of truth is that for our lives? That when we can trust no one else, we can trust Jesus.
You see, this, but this faith turned out good. This faith was a blessing. I mean, this, this example was a blessing for this man. You see, sometimes though, God uses us as an example that might not always turn out so good. One of the best examples of being an example is a guy named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary and he was killed in action. But Jim Elliott lived in the time of the Vietnam War and, and so a lot of his language is stemmed from that that time period of the United States. Him and, him and four or five other guys went to a village who's never heard the name of Jesus and was killed right there on the, the creek bed with spears because, of, because they had never seen white, a white man before. This guy was from the middle uh, mid, Midwest area. And this is one of his quotes, and this got me this week. I actually sent it to a couple guys on the staff. Listen to this. We are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace. While we profess to know the power of the 20, 20th century, for us, it would be the 21st century. We profess to know a power the 21st century does not reckon with. But we are harmless and therefore unharmed. We are spiritual pacifists, non-militants, conscientious objectors in the battle to the death within principalities and powers in high places. Meekness must be had to contact with men, but brass, outspoken boldness is required to take part in the comradeship of the cross. We are sideliners, coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers while cont content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. The world cannot hate us. We are too much like its own. Oh God, would you make us dangerous? What does that mean? We like, we don't want to be the examples. We don't want to be like the man with the withered hand. We would rather sit back and watch. We're the people that like to watch the miracles take place, but don't want to be called out to come up and be the recipient of that miracle. So it all comes down to this one thing, the response. There's response on both sides. See, and the only difference in these, in these situations, the Pharisees were people that heard the word and were unchanged, correct? Because they were the people with the hard, their hearts were hardened. You see, the man with the withered hand, or as we've learned before, the unclean spirit, or the leper, or the, the paralytic, 
or the tax collector, they heard the gospel and was changed. Why was that? Why was that? They didn't have a hard heart. So what is a hard heart? This is what one definition is. A hard heart is an abstinent or callous heart that fails to respond to God or obey him. A hard heart is blind to the precious value of the gospel and refuse to embrace Christ. A hard heart is simonious with spiritual ignorance and alienation from God. So what causes a hard heart? What causes the hard heart? I believe... In this passage, it's simple. The Pharisees, this is the fifth time they've heard the gospel. This is the fifth time they've heard Jesus speak and their hearts remain the same. But you see, when, this, when the man with the withered hand heard the gospel, when he heard Jesus call him, he stood up, he arose, he responded to the gospel. You see, I think the best thing we can do as we move forward, as we look at 2019 and 2020 and 2021, when we get to the age of 70 and 80, and most importantly, when we look back at, when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, this is what I want us to say. James 1, through 25 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who, intent, who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what it was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perceives being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see, I think the one thing that we need to focus on in 2019 is being a doer of the gospel. I think we, so many of us come to church and we hear, and my heart burdens because there's no response to the gospel. And that just means a calloused heart. So as you come week in and week out, as you come in these doors and hear the gospel, but don't really hear the gospel, it's being used to callous your heart to the gospel. And when it's calloused, it's harder to break through with the gospel. It's harder. And even some, some theolog- theologians don't believe this. I believe as a Christian, you can also have a hard heart. If you get stuck in sin and hear the gospel and hear the gospel, but that sin's more precious to you than the gospel, it starts building up walls. It, still, it starts building up walls on your heart. And then that's how you're and the you're in crisis, fellowship's broken. See, that's my fear. I feel like we've got into a routine of just coming to church just to come to church. That's the Christian thing to do. 
but there's no, there's no fellowship, there's no intimacy with God. What did Micah 6 say? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? That walking humbly is a far-fetched thing for us sometimes. You see, for Jesus, the gospel of God is different than proper religion. In that it is about a disposition of the heart, which cannot remain unmoved in the face of suffering. You see, our heart has to change. In the face of suffering of people around us, when people around us, especially in this room, suffer, our hearts should feel it. But most of all, when we think, when we casually do sin and realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for that sin, that we do casually, and we're unmoved by that, that's when we can tell we're just going through the motions. We have no longer loved that first love that we once had. We do not remember Jesus on the cross like we once did. So here's our reality truth before we go. The greatest enemy of divine love and justice is not opposition, not even malice, but hardness of heart and indifference to divine grace. the greatest enemy to divine love. And justice is not opposition, not even malice, but hardness of heart and indifference to grace. What does that mean? As we look at the 1%, our opposition for the 1% of Hilo is, is not people that oppose us. It's ourselves. Because we get calloused into thinking that, oh, everybody else is going to do it. But we don't have divine love for our neighbor. And that means we, we start hardening our heart. And grace is just a thing that, that happens. It's not miraculous anymore. It's not amazing anymore. It's just something that we have. but the, all of Hilo needs. So as we move forward, where do we go? After this sermon, where do we go? Well, one, I think we truly need to examine ourselves. Are we like the Pharisees? Or are we like the man with the withered hand? Are we pharisaical in that we come to church and we hear the word and we hear the word and hear the word, but still leave with that hard heart? that says, no, this is mine. This is my sin, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna love it. This is my thought process. Religion's not supposed to tell me what to do. This guy, Jesus, can't interrupt my schedule. We had it down. We had a pattern. Are we like the man with the withered hand that actually hears the word and responds and is healed? There's freedom in that. There's victory in that. So first off, we need to examine ourselves. 
And then we also need to be doers of the word, not just hearers. But in order to do the word, we gotta know the word. We gotta understand the word. So we gotta be committed to reading the word. And I'll tell you one thing that's helped me as a pastor be committed to reading the word is the Bible app that we use for our sermon notes. Trust me, if you want to get accountability, ask one of our staff members to put you in a, one of those Bible reading apps. Though it can be a little legalistic, but we're not making you do it. So personal legalisms is sometimes the most gracious thing we got. Personal legalisms will lead us to victory. But also, we got to be committed to meeting together. Christian life wasn't meant to do alone. So we, we got to commit to knowing Scripture personally, but we also got to commit to knowing Scripture as a group. As a fellowship, we got to commit. So what does that mean? We got to commit to coming to services in Ohana groups. We're going to start up Ohana groups in the, in the middle of January. So that's the first way we respond. And the second way that we respond, we're going to do the word today. The word talks about taking the Lord's Supper when you meet. So that's how we're going to respond here shortly. But I want us to pray before that. I want us to, to reflect on what God has taught us. On the count of three, I just want you to pray. Whatever state you're in, if you've been like the man with the withered hand, but it's now like the Pharisees, that you've responded to the gospel, I want you to pray in that vein that, that God would soften your heart. If you've never heard the gospel, Pray that you would respond like the man with the withered hand. That Jesus is calling you. So respond. And then if you don't really know where you are. I just want to give this time for you to examine your heart. And pray to the Lord of hosts. God of grace that he would reveal that to you. So just in this moment, search your heart. Confess any unsought sin. Sin against your brother or your neighbor. Confess that to God. Thank you for 
the Lord's Supper that you established, Lord. But I want to remind us that before the Lord's Sabbath, you sat around the table with the disciples and said this. Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They begin to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread with me within the dishes with me. For the Son of Man goes as it has been written to him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never not been born. Lord, as we come to this time, betraying you is a serious offense. Lord, so if we don't have unconfessed sin in our heart, Lord, that is a betrayal of you. May we confess that now. Because it is better for us not to take the Lord's Supper with unconfessed sin in our hearts than it is to take it with unconfessed sin. Lord, have mercy on us. Show us your heart, Lord. Soften our hearts, Lord. Lord, where, where callous has been built up, where hardness has been built up, Lord, strip that from us. Remove that heart of stone and place it in a heart of flesh. Lord, continue to mold us, Lord. But most of all, may we take serious this and may we take seriously your word as we move forward in life that when we get to the judgment seat of God, we can say, I'm thankful I made a stand. I'm thankful I I heard your gospel and I responded and I didn't callous my heart. Lord, we love you.